Welcome to Counterbalance Conversations, the program that enables and encourages you to make the changes you need to make a true difference in our world. Your host is Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Our hope is that by hearing from people who have stood out and made a positive change in their community, their lives, and their world, you'll feel the need to do the same. Now, here is Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Hello, and thank you for joining Counterbalance Conversations. I'm Dr. Melissa L. Strasser, and if this is your first time joining, welcome. If you have joined us in the past, thank you very much for returning. Today, we have Dr. Adrian Yanue, and we're going to discuss STEAM, which is a model of education that incorporates and places importance on arts uh, alongside STEM learning competencies. Dr. Adrian will give us a sneak peek into her newly formed movie production company and share her story about COVID-19 pandemic and how it gave her the opportunity to step into a new role in entertainment. Uh, we're going to talk to her about a lot of different things. Um, she is a movie producer, a dynamic act, uh, actress that sings, dances, and motivates crowds to do more and better. Growing up, she had many challenges and traumas, including losing her mother at an early age, bullying in school and church, inappropriate touching and rape. The impact of these traumas carried over into an unhealthy relationship that nearly broke her mentally, physically, and spiritually. Dr. Adrienne escaped this relationship and ran more than a thousand miles away to New York with just 500 bucks in her pocket. Over a year, for over a year, she lived in her, uh, first in her car and then a renovated van. During the same time, she was working on her second doctorate in performance improvement leadership, pursuing opportunities in acting, working to address social issues. Adrian enjoys the rehearsal and presentation process of film, television, and musical theater. She also enjoys the development processes of business. Therefore, she uses her comedic timing, performing arts to educate and improve lives, to address social issues and norms that wreak havoc on co the community at large. Whether it's via for performing art or traditional business development, Adrian desires to serve in today's morally turbulent and spiritually defunct times, persons young and old, as they face an unprecedented loss of optimism challenges of depression, powerlessness, poor impulse control, low self-esteem, and the like. She believes that such negative behavior behaviors lead to the strongholds of fear and that this fear is the root of anger and violence. She uses film, theater, and dance as an anecdote, a balm for the challenges mentioned above. Adrian has found arts through a spiritually-based framework to positively affect our children, youth, families, and the community. She envis envisions film, episodic television, theater, and dance to assist persons young and old and mentally or physically imprisoned. The vision's goal is to improve social and life skills that they overcome negative impulses. They are better able to manage their anger and realize deliverance from the grips of fear. Adrian is a member of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and Actors Equality 
Association. Wow, Adrian, welcome to the show. Every time I read your bio, even though we've been friends for quite a while and finished our doctorate together, uh, which that was quite the ride, um, I'm always so impressed by your commitment to the community and your commitment to your own practice of um, the arts. So tell us a little bit more about your story. Well, after all of that, and I'm a little uh, taken aback every time I hear it myself, um, I'm not really sure if there's anything else that I can add to it, except that, um, you know, I'm just a regular person living a regular life and, you know, just trying to see extraordinarily, you know, fabulous things in all of us so that we can, you know, live and be our best. Absolutely. And so tell me a little bit more about your story or, or share with the audience. I've heard the story about how you left. I think it was Florida. And uh, I think this was in the during the time that we were pursuing our last few classes during our doctorate. And um, none of us really knew you just seemed like you had it all together. And you were talking about how you were headed to New York and you were going to pursue your acting and all these uh, different things that you were doing and pursuing that were community-based. And it wasn't until after we finished or close to the end or when the pandemic started and you were finishing up your dissertation at your, you know, at your friend's kitchen table, so to speak, <laughs> we on didn't even couch. know about on that. Couch. Okay. On her couch. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So tell us a little bit about that. What made you, you know, just make that decision? What inspired you to, to pursue this passion that you've had for a really long time? Well, you know, I've always been a person from the time that I was little, as far back as from when I was about 10 years old, I realized that I was a person that can make really, really hard decisions. Um, and, you know, what happened was I realized that I had made a mistake. And there was no way for me to get out of it except, you know, to figure it out on my own, keep my head on, keep the cuckoo, keep my head on straight, keep, as they say, the cuckoo in the clock um, and to keep any in to, to keep out the negative um, conversations that we even have with ourselves, you know, statements like, oh, it's not going to work or, oh, you know, you, you should just leave well enough alone. You know, I, in order to avoid that, I just didn't say very much about the situation that I was in because I knew that I had to finish the schoolwork. I knew I had to tr try to figure out how in the world was I going to climb out of this. And then even after climbing out of it, how in the world was I going to survive? So right. I just thought, you know what? It's just something that I have to do. And, and the best thing for me to do is to stay present, speak that which um, I know would be better for me and speak that only, you know, um, some would call it the law of attraction, you know, some would, would, would call it, um, uh, some would refer to the scripture, you know, you have not because you ask not. Um, so for me, it's all of that, you know, combined. And, you know, I had to learn from being a little girl that if I say it, it's going to be, be it good or bad. If I say it, it is going to be. So mm -hmm. I like to tell people, what you feed is what's going to grow. So yes. I had to be very, very intentional about what I fed uh, the spirit realm, what I fed to other people so that not only would I be talking about, uh, you know, the things that I'm about to do, um, they would be speaking it. 
So if we have more than just the one person speaking it, guess what? It's going to happen. Yes. And so that's just, you know, that's just a, a principle that I live, that I live by. You know, I've seen it happen in so many other different uh, scenarios where a group of people come together talking about a thing and then that thing, be it good or bad, happens. When yes. um, I remember right after uh, 9-11, I was, that was my first round living in New York. 9-11 came up in the lottery over and over and over again. Why? Because everyone was speaking it. Because yes. it was a traumatic time that the country lived through. And I was living in New York at the time um, and was actually headed in that direction and turned around and run an errand. Only uh, once I ran the errand and was headed in that direction, I saw the news report and was literally standing on the ground looking up at the buildings when the second plane hit. You know, so right after that, that's all we could talk about. That's all that was on anyone's mind. And so that's the number that kept rolling out in the lottery. So if I didn't know it before, I knew it then. You know, so right. that's why no one knew until I got back to New York. Right, right. Well, and it, it's it's funny our um, our audience doesn't know this, but I'm going to go ahead and tip our hand a little bit because I think it's really important with what we're just talking about. Um, we're recording this on September 9th, and uh, it's going to be a pre-record for the following Tuesday. Uh, on the 14th. So in between the time that we record this and it posts, you know, we're going to have the the 9-11 remembrances. And I also was, I wasn't in um, New York, but I was in Washington, D.C. at the time of 9-11. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember exactly what you're talking about because it was on the tip of everybody's tongue because it was so unbelievable. And it was so tragic um, for everyone in our country. And um, so I did see a lot of the same things happening in the Washington, D.C. area as well, Adrian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a tough yeah. time. It was a tough time. Um, and we are, you know, at a place now where um, I'm excited to see, you know, some of that drawing down starting to happen because I think it's been something we were manifesting for a long time as a, mm. as a country. So I don't want to belabor that point because that's not what we're here to talk about today. But I, I do did want to acknowledge that because the anniversary is coming up. Mm. And um, so part of your story is, you know, that mindset shift. So you had to, I call it mindset set whenever I'm talking with my clients, I'm saying, hey, you have to have that mindset shift because a lot of people don't really resonate with the law of attraction. Um, But there are several ways that we can talk about that. And I talk about it in the form of mindset. And so you just went to New York with the mindset of, I have to make this work and I have to make those changes. And part of your vision as a business is that you can, you restarted so other people can too. Absolutely. Because I had lived the life before, you know, I, I only had found myself back in Florida because I had to, for about 18 months I was there. Um, I had left New York, went back to Florida to take care of some family uh, stuff. My grandmother had died and I was her, her last uh, caregiver. And so what I thought was going to be six months ended up, that's a whole another conversation. Uh, Mm -hmm. What I thought was Mm -hmm. going to be six months ended up to be 18 months. And I lost everything during that 18 months. My credit score tanked from like a 770 down to, I think, 532. 
So just imagine at that point with a 532, I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get any credit for anything. And I went completely flat broke and had to, you know, find a dance class to teach, taught the class, um, the classes, saved up the money. And I just said, hey, um, I know what does work. And I'm going to head mm-hmm. back in that direction. And I took the $500 and, you know, I, I kissed it, pointed it toward the heavens and said, let's go. And I have to tell you, I cried in that car all the way, all the way from Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> halfway to New York. Why? Because I'm not a long distance driver. I do four right. hours and it's over. I have to get out the car. But I, right. I, I, I did it because I had to. So, yeah, the mindset and you know, shifting of one's mind has a lot to do with you know, what we will and will not accomplish in life. I'm a firm believer in that too. Right. And so I find that an incredible part of your story because you, you just said, Hey, I have to do it. And you went and did it and you finished your, your, uh, dissertation project and during the pandemic, which was fantastic. We had a little celebration around that. And you've had some milestones during that time as well. Um, that also kind of came across for you. But let's talk about what you did your dissertation on, mm-hmm. um, on STEAM. So tell, tell me a little bit more about that, because I do want to, I think that the teachers that are listening to this, the homeschoolers, educators are going to be really interested, especially now that we've had the pandemic. I think this is 100% on point with where we need to go now. So let's talk a little bit about that. So what is STEAM? Well, STEAM would be science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Inserting Mm -hmm. the arts in science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, to me, uh, makes sense if we really want to show children how they, you know, how they experience those three topics, science, technology, technology, engineering, and math, those science, technology, engineering, math, those four topics in their day-to-day lives. Um, the, you know, the idea of an interdisciplinary curriculum uh, mm-hmm. to me helps the children. It helps the parents to be able to realize that these things that we do on a daily basis, they're not just things that we do. They're just, they're not just activities, but they actually are rooted in the four topics. Right. Um, I think that you know, it, it, in inserting the A into STEM, you know, it helps uh, to improve a, STEM's organi- a STEM organization's ability to be more appealing mm-hmm. to children and adults yes. in the learning process. I think an arts organization uh, deciding to take on, uh, I don't know, making, making a play or, you know, putting together music uh, around the topics of science, technology, engineering, and math will also you know, do the same thing. It, it, it'll help the, the arts organization understand that we can tackle these seemingly tough topics through the arts. We can you know, um, guide a child that, that may not, may, maybe this child is not gonna be a ballerina. Maybe this child is not gonna be a set designer or a set dresser or you know, writer, director, producer, but the arts that they're so enjoying right now may help them you know, to become you know, the, the next engineer that figures out how to, oh, this would be a good example, how to have a combo washer and dryer. Who right. ever thought that we would see a washer, right, a washing machine and mm-hmm. a dryer 
in in one. Right. As a little girl, I, it, that never crossed my mind. You know, right. so if we find these ways to use the arts to teach these seemingly difficult topics, then the creativity that's in the child will mm-hmm. probably help, um, you know, with, with the advancements that's being made in science, technology, engineering, and that, it probably will speed up the advancement. Probably right. will, you know, help people figure out some of the problems that need to be fixed. Maybe we can get to the answers more quickly. I don't know. Right. The innovation piece that a lot of companies are looking for right now and the creativity that we're trying to foster in our teams and in our um, our management team, I think, would be significantly easier if the arts was in that um, in the curriculum. I remember whenever I was in high school, well, I was throughout my uh, school years there was always some type of arts available. There was always something that we were doing. It was always a creative project. Um, and it was not limited to you're good with math, you're good at English, you're good at... There was that interdisciplinary cooperation between um, you, what you wanted to do. So even the um, the business classes I took had some type of creative element to it where you had to think out of the box and have a critical thinking moment um, to go along with the projects that you're doing. You weren't handed, these are all the things you need to do, check the box Mm -hmm. and follow instructions. So I think you're spot on with bringing the arts back in and really creating something interdisciplinary. But even if they are building sets, that creates, that's engineering, math, and even critical thinking in a lot of um, a lot of areas. Yes, because think about it. You have to be creative in your thinking to be a critical thinker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to, you know, look at what is the norm on this topic, you know, yes. and dare to think outside of the box. You can't do that. It, you can't do that void of creativity. So it's, it's an absolute must. Correct. So do you think that um, the pandemic has opened up an opportunity uh, for increased funding for the arts in school? You know, I, I, I think it has. You know, I can't really speak to the traditional funding, you know, by going by way of uh, grants and, 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 and donations because, you know, all of that is pretty, um, that's, a, that's an interesting um, scenario, you know, when you're going for grants that may have already been, people don't want to talk about it. Sometimes those funds are already earmarked for friends yes. and family of the fold. But what I can speak to from a business development perspective, because, you know, I have my, um, my little business development boutique where I work with micro businesses and I help them get their ideas out of their head onto paper and into the marketplace. And so what I have found is that, um, especially within groups that are, that tend to be marginalized. Um, I have found that, you know, during this pandemic, during the the, the mandatory quarantine, that people have realized that there are other ways to get their dream, their idea um, of of getting the the arts properly funded, um, finding a way of getting them into the school, whether it's a public school, private school, whether it's the the homeschool setting, 
Um, but I think funding for the arts has increased during during this uh, pandemic because people are having to think, what am I going to do? We've suddenly got more time on our hands, more time yes. you know, than, than we ever had before, more time than we could ever even think you know, of what to do with it. And so for some of, you know, some of us artists, we were able to look at some uh, models that were different uh, from uh, what we had done before and some of our educators being able to look at the model of teaching differently and say, okay, what can I do to get this money? Okay, so some people, everybody didn't, but some people got money through the SBA, right? Some people right. Uh, were able to get money from other areas, but then there was a whole host of other people that, that you know, that got wind of um, um, non-traditional, legal, non-traditional ways, you know, of collecting dollars so that they could get their arts and education uh, programs put on paper and then actually test it out because you're at home, you know, you can right. test it out with a small select a group of people. So I, I think that even that, that, that way of, uh, of thinking about how to fund the arts, I think that is going to have a positive impact in our, in and on our traditional education. Um, mm -hmm. be, because, you know, doing the same thing the same way over and over and over, all we're doing is, is perpetuating the same cycle. The things that are broken, you know, in those systems are not necessarily realized. If they're not necessarily realized, it can't get fixed. So introducing, what do they call that? Um, uh, uh, not interruption, uh, disruption, right? Mm -hmm. in, yes. in, introducing disruption um, to a thing kind of helps you to see a thing a little differently and possibly better. So I think the pandemic has opened the door uh, doors for more funding for the arts and education at large, just because you had huge pockets of individuals and tiny groups of people trying to figure out what am I going to do or you know, I've got I've got a house full of children here We're, and, and they're all different ages and they've all got to get educated in this one house at the same time. How do I do this and go to work? And you've got a whole nother set of people that are artists that, you know, they weren't able to create in a theater, you know, but they could now pick up a, a notepad and say, hey, let me sketch out what this would look like. Uh, when we come out of the pandemic. So then that meant mm -hmm. we've got it on paper. How are we going to get this money? And then, you know, I think that's probably what really opened the floodgates for more funding for education sure. at large and arts and education. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to come back to that and just a little bit of, and talk a little bit more about your micro business uh, or okay. your business um, consulting, because I find that very interesting. But I have one last question about the STEM and the arts before we go to our first break. Um, so there's so many people that are homeschooling, and you touched on this, but there's so many people that are still homeschooling or choosing to go to a homeschooling model now. How do they, what is the best way for them to incorporate the arts into their homeschooling or the education of their kids. I mean, what would be the best way for them to do that, especially with the pandemics, you know, remaining in force? Keep it fun. You know, I homeschooled my son uh, for a few years and, you know, I just had to lean on my art, you know, per, per personality and uh, uh, make whatever the topic was fun. If it was a matter of cooking food, you know, then we made the cooking of the, of, of the food fun. We just found, 
you know, now we did follow traditional schooling. He put on his little blue pants. He put on his yellow shirt and his blue tie. And he got up there to the table and we had our schooling. We were able to truncate it in less than a five hour period. We hit all of the subjects and we just kept it light and lively and fun, enjoyable so that he could, you know, get through it. And I think that's probably what parents have to do and just just think in the moment. This is what I have to do. This is what's going to get done and be glad about it. Be in a space of gratefulness and contentment. And I yes. think it'll work. Keep it fun, light, be grateful for every experience. Try not to fret about the job you're not working while you're homeschooling. And what you feed is what's going to grow. What you think is what's going to happen. So I think it really is a matter of, you know, parents keeping it light and lively and fun. And, you know, if you have to incorporate the food, the cooking of the food, then that's how you, you can even use that to teach STEM. There's huge yeah. science, technology, engineering, and math all involved in just fixing the lunch. Mm-hmm. And the then, right. And, you know, also bringing in, because you're very, and we'll talk about this after break, you were very fortunate. And a lot of the other actors in New York were really fortunate mm-hmm. that they were able to work through the entire pandemic. And um, they were able to continue to make the entertainment that, you know, so we... We're very fortunate to be the recipients of your artistic abilities and your hard work. So um, after our first break, we'll talk about what that looked like for you. And I also want to go into your micro businesses. I want to talk to you about um, some, you know, the production company that um, that you have started during the pandemic and what's happening with that if you're open to that. Oh, I'm open to it because it all blends together. I'm a crazy artist that happens to have a strong business development skill set. I'm willing. All right. That's perfect. So we're going to go to our first break and then we will come back and touch on all those points. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Are you looking for ways to make your business and your life better? Maybe it's time to think outside the box. Host Elsa Palmer Odin and her guests help you to rethink the way you approach challenges and strategies to get yourself on the right track. It's about business. It's about investing. It's about personal assistance and automation. But most importantly, it's about taking control of your life for the better. Outside the Box with Elsa can be heard Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned into Counterbalance Conversations with Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. Find out more about Dr. Melissa by visiting DrMelissaLStrasser.com. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome back to Counterbalance Conversations. We're here with Dr. Adrienne. If you missed the first part of the segment, we are talking about uh, STEAM versus STEM and how the arts should be come back into schools. Now we're going to move into a little bit of a deeper conversation um, with Adrienne around her business, how she's been able to work through the pandemic and some of the other initiatives she's got going on. So 
Adrian, before we did our, uh, before we went to commercial, we had, uh, we had started talking about you having a great business acumen and you're helping some of the micro businesses. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I just noticed um, some years ago when uh, I was in Florida, I had my 501c3 organization and it was specific to girls, ages 5 to 11. I just noticed that it was really difficult to get the funding that I needed. And I just also noticed that there were, you know, a few other people that, you know, had similar ideas, but they didn't even know where to begin. And that mainly was in you know, the disenfranchised communities. And when I say disenfranchised, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the ghetto, the hood. It, it, you know, if it, you are, if you're in a group of people that typically do not have access to certain information, then you're disenfranchised. So I, you know, I came across a lot of folks um, in some of the lesser cared for uh, communities, as well as some care, well cared for communities that they didn't, they didn't have a clue about how to start a business. First off, many of them did not even know that what they were talking about was a viable business. And once they were clear on that, they didn't know how to begin it. And if they did you know, know how to begin it uh, with whatever monies that they did have, they didn't know how to grow from there to get real money because of course the banks aren't, You know, I, I don't have anything against banks, but let's just face it, they're not really there for the micro business. They're mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not really there for the individual. They're not there for the micro business. And if you are in a, you know, in, in a certain class of people from which I come from, I represent Eidos, um, American descendants of slavery. You know, my ancestors go back to the plantation here in this country. You know, we know that there were, I mean, we don't even have to assume or think that it is an opinion. We could just do a little bit of research and, you know, just all, all the evidence of the many laws that were in place to, um, basically impoverish Eidos existed and some still does exist today. And those that are, you know, those laws that are trying to be overturned at this point, um, they are so old and there's been such negative impact because of those. It's even like redlining, for instance, it's really difficult to undo redlining because we've got, you know, decades, centuries of uh, the negative impact of it. So, you know, that means you have a whole host of people that are not very clear on how do you get, you know, money for your business. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would run across people that got money in my eyes to do nothing. They were just sitting there thinking, you know, and I've even helped to uh, raise a little, a little over $30 million for, for one startup. And, you know, that was only after my eyes had been opened to the fact that there's a hundred, a $116 trillion wealth gap that exists between black America and white America. People don't want to believe that. But if we look at the numbers, it is true. So once I started realizing, oh, my God, I grew up poor. I didn't even know, you know, we right. were middle class. But when you look at the real numbers, we were poor. Um, mm -hmm. And and I was, you know, the one family that moved in one black family that moved into a totally white neighborhood when I was around three years old and actually lived through white flight. I lived through, you know, integrating in elementary school. I lived through you know, not knowing that I was poor. So, you know, fast forward to realizing what poor really is in America, I thought, you know what, something's got to be done. I've got to find a way to help people that are missing the basic information about business development and finance. I have to find a way to help them at least go to market. 
if all they right. had is five hundred dollars, how do they go to market with um, with just the five hundred, knowing that they've still got to pay the light bill out of the five hundred? So I catered my business to Black and Brown America, and you know, to this day, I still give away a lot of time. You know, just you know, debunking some of the myths that you know you're going to walk into the bank and they're going to give you money because if white America has a hard time getting money from a big bank, what do we think we're going to have going to the big banks? So my little um, micro business, we do a lot of consulting. Uh, we do a lot of redirecting of, of thoughts and ideas, helping them to figure out, well, before you can do that, you've got to do this. So we help them with, you know, incorporation. We help them with uh, establishing business credit. Uh, we go from the business credit, you know, to making sure that the business plan is tight, um, that it's clearly understood how you're going to create your milestones and how you're moving through the milestones to even be considered um, by the SBA. And we know 85% of the applicants at the SBA are turned down. So a lot of times when we realize, okay, so you didn't get um, funding through the SBA, you didn't, you know, that the big banks still won't look at you, what are you going to do? So then we find ways to leverage the credit score uh, mm-hmm. in order to open the floodgates for monies to uh, create a business. And I learned that uh, from another uh, finance uh, person that I know of who, you know, was really comfortable working with black and brown people. You know, he, he grew up with us and he just, you know, spilled the beans on how it's done. And my bottom lip hit the floor. I said, are you kidding me? This is how you get the money? This is how this happens? And he was like, yeah, it's real simple, real easy. So I employ some of those tactics with my micro business owners. And they are amazed because now they can actually go to market and get the, you know, the tools of the trade that they need to even think, you know, how to generate five to $8,000 a month for a solid six months or a year so that then they can look good to the bank. So that's right. what I do with my micro business. It's, it's basically, you know, it's, it's, it's a love child of mine. I, 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 I very seldom uh, get paid for the work that I do there. Um, I have now taken a lot of the knowledge that I share with the, the micro entrepreneurs and I have put them in eBooks. And so now I'm going to, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to be able to help more people uh, because now I'm making information that is usually available if you're paying four figures and higher, you know, I'm making them available to people. That, listen, if you want this information, you can go to the website, buy the book for 99 cents, 299, 399. Oh, you want all of the books? Okay. 12 bucks. You know, because if people are not educated on how to win, they will continually lose. And that's not a victim standpoint. That's a mm-hmm. fact standpoint. Right. Um, and so that's what, you know, that's what I do at the, at, at the company. I do a lot of talking, helping them to understand how to partner with other companies in order to get the property that they need, how to make sure that we don't keep taking our personal credit and mm-hmm. jeopardizing the household because we have a business idea that may not make it. Who cares if, the, if it's a bad idea? But the point is, it is, it's an idea. I've seen people get hundreds of thousands of dollars for ideas that I knew were dumb. But it mm-hmm. didn't matter because that's how you practice. That's how you learn what will work right. by trying something. So Black and Brown America needs the same opportunity to be given money into their organizations so that they can, so that we can make a mistake, mm-hmm. learn from mm-hmm. the mistake. 
and try again and get better each step of the way so that then we can be the owners of these multi-million dollar companies so that we don't have to only use music um, and sports in order to fix the wrong that uh, America has done against us. So that's the basis of my little business development boutique. And I think that is fantastic. A lot of the things that you're talking about, I talk to a lot of my clients about as well. And I think you're spot on when you say, you know, if you don't know how to win, if you don't know how to start the business, I get a lot of questions about how do you start an LLC? How do you Mm -hmm. get an EIN number? So all the basics, that front end things. Um, I'm not, I don't go as deep with those clients as you do, um, which I think that's fabulous that you have the books coming out. So when they are out, please let me know and I'll make Mm -hmm. sure that um, I put those up there if you would like for me to, to promote that for you. you. Um, you. And I think it is spot on that, you know, the black and brown communities were not given that information. It wasn't something that is taught in school. It's not something that um, unless you have a mentor who tells you, or you have someone that tells you it's, not as readily available in, you know, some of the more disadvantaged communities. And I can say that I can say that because I grew up in one of the the communities that were a little bit disadvantaged. It wasn't as disadvantaged as a lot of them. So I don't want to sound like I grew up in a neighborhood that was exceptionally poor, but it was more of a disadvantaged community. And I did see that, um, that divide you know, within the community. And so I'm really, I'm really glad that someone like yourself is willing to give that time. Um, And during this, during the pandemic, we said that we wanted to talk a little bit about how you were able to continue to work. So you have scaled your business as well. And you've scaled, we talked uh, before the break about how you went to New York how you left Florida, you had 500 bucks in your pocket, you lived in your car, you, you've had a lot of trials and tribulations the last few years. But that's not the end of your story. Thank you God. are now working with these, um, you have the uh, boutique business, you ha- also have another, you've been able to work through the pandemic. How was it working in the entertainment industry? Give us a little insight into that. Well, it was frightening at first, but guess what? I, I had to figure it out. And, you know, it just so happened that being in my car was a major blessing. Was it easy? No. Trying to figure out, you know, the, the, where I would be in relationship to the gym so that I could get there, work out, take a shower, you know, put on fresh clothes, go do the laundry, all of that. That was hard, but it was a major, major blessing because it allowed me to really be in touch with what's real, what's fake, what works, what doesn't work, what's important, what's not important. Um, And, you know, living tiny like that was a great, I mean, it, it was a great situation to be in for the industry because now you had so many people left New York, right? Uh, I forget what the numbers are. Um, that would be interesting to talk about that, you know, one day. But there were droves of people that left the city. And, you know, one of the last shows that I had done right before the pandemic, which was right, that was the set that I got sick with coronavirus on. 
um, it was bull. I think we filmed in, sometime in February. Girl, that last episode aired four times during the pandemic, you know, and that wasn't the only show that, that did that, did that uh, because you have shows that film now in order to air next year. You have shows that are filming today to air in three weeks. So the TV shows that you watch at home that are that run uh, concurrent with uh, news events, um, catastrophic events, uh, the weather, those shows are recorded. They were recorded 10 to 14 days prior to you seeing them. So that's great when things are going well. It's not so great when you're looking at we're in a pandemic and everything is shut down because then those shows have to run their last couple of shows over and over and over. I was getting calls across the country. Oh my God, did I just see you on this? Did I just see you on that? And I'm like, what, they aired it again? I said, oh my gosh, I was sitting on the couch at my girlfriend, um, uh, Cheryl's place in, in, um, in Virginia going, I don't know how this is going to go. You know, it was a very frightening time. I wasn't real clear about what was going to happen work-wise, but I was thanking God that I didn't have a rent to pay. I was thanking God that I didn't have an, uh, a mortgage to pay. Right. So being in the car was a complete godsend. Had I listened to some other people, right, had I told them what my plan was, they would have shot it down. And who knows, I might have, you know, fallen for the okie doke and climbed into an apartment and then being really freaked out, having to figure out how to pay these bills during the pandemic. So I paid all of my bills during the pandemic because I had very few bills because I was living tiny in the car. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend says, no, 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 you're not going to be in the van here. You're going to come inside. So I went inside and, you know, worked on, as you mentioned earlier in the first segment, the um, finishing my doctorate. But they, you know, Hollywood realized they had to get back to making content. Mm-hmm. And so my first idea of creating content during the pandemic got snuffed out because I needed to finish the doctorate. I said, okay, you know, I'll just ride this out until I finish this and then I'll be able to figure out how to, how to make my own content. Little did I know that I was going to have to become a filmmaker to audition for pieces because the industry did not know quite how to bring us back. So they started this thing called UGC, user generated content. So they started shipping these camera kits out to different actors that they booked that were auditioning by way of Zoom. They would send the, 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 the equipment out, give them a crash course in how to become a filmmaker so that they can make these commercials. So a lot of commercials that everyone was looking at last year during the pandemic were filmed in people's houses. They had to learn to be set dressers. They had to learn how to do the lighting. Okay, well, you know, I'm sitting there finishing up a doctorate degree watching this, trying to figure out how am I gonna pay my bills? God, show me what to do. How's this gonna go? Well, the van died. The van fell apart because the guy took advantage of me, sold me a piece of junk and I was desperate because I was homeless. And um, I bought it, right? Did not know it was going to fall apart. So it fell apart on me, died in Virginia. And I rented a car uh, to get back to New York. Why? Because I had been called to come back to set. I booked Hustle. And these people, the agent that booked me, all she knew was that I had a car because my information had not been updated. Hollywood was scrambling to get TV back up because how many times was America going to keep watching the same reruns right not too many more times so they had to figure this thing out so they didn't follow up do you still have your car they they just were like hey you want to come back to work i said yes because i had to 
Mm-hmm. I could not afford to be one of the actors that was saying, oh, I'm not going to go work during the COVID. Oh, I'm not going to do a nose swab. I'm not going to this. I'm not going to that. I had to say yes to everything. And I could not let on that I didn't have a car. So I took some of the um, pandemic, the unemployment, what was it? The unemployment assistance uh, money. Uh-huh. And I rented a vehicle, almost died on the highway because the vehicle that they, that they uh, gave me the battery was bad. So I'm at night driving and the car is shutting off on the highway. That's a whole nother conversation. So anyway, I kept seeing this Jeep in my mind. And so I, I got told uh, by someone who was clearly a racist, it's midnight, I'm on the highway in Virginia. All I know is I got to get back to New York because I got to go to work anyway. He um, gets me over to the, and I was praying, God, please soften his heart because I cannot disappear in the night. This is not how this story ends. So the guy gets me to the airport and the, 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 the Jeep that I saw in my mind, we rode past the Jeep going into the airport. I said, it's mine. I go to the people. They say, well, what do you want? I said, I want that Jeep because you guys gave me a vehicle that was horrible. La, 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 la. Honey, I came back from Virginia to New York in a Jeep, nowhere to live again. <laughs> All my things piled up in, 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 the, in the Jeep, trying to have high hopes like Laverne and Shirley. And <laughs> I could not let on uh, to Diane that I didn't have a car. So I, I, I go to, I, I grab a room through Airbnb. I dump everything from the, from the Jeep into there. Uh, uh, take the the jeep back uh, to the rental place, um, and and I'm you know schlepping my clothes and everything to to Philadelphia, just north of Philadelphia, to go live in a hotel. So now I'm going, dog it! I've got this Airbnb that I'm paying for, and I'm in a hotel to work. Had I known that, I wouldn't have gotten the Airbnb. But I had to get it because I had to empty the the, the jeep. So. I was able to get back to work because I was not in a position to say no to the nose swap. So in Pennsylvania is where the first of 183 nose swaps began. And that was in September. And I've had the fortune of working from bubble to bubble to bubble and realizing, oh my goodness, I booked this job because I'm willing to work. I'm willing to come back to New York City. I'm willing to get no swapped. I'm willing to be quarantined in a hotel. I got to get a car. So we're on the set. And when I got that revelation, I looked at my coworkers. I said, man, I got to get a car in 30 minutes. They thought I was crazy. Let me tell you, I bought a car because now people are desperate. They're selling you whatever they can sell you by any means necessary. So I didn't have the income to get the car, but I told them, I said, look, I'm working. I'm in the bubble uh, for, for Hustle, um, LeBron James, and um, I forget the um, Adam Sandler, and um, who Adam Sandler is just a sweetheart, by the way, wonderful, wonderful to work with. Um, I did not get to, to work with LeBron because I think he was in uh, the sports bubble working. So I said, oh, God, I have to get a car, I have to get a car. So I put my strategic thinking cap on. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I got, I don't want to do a commercial for them. I told them that I need to do a commercial for them, so I won't say their name. But I called a company and I explained I've got a business. Because mm-hmm. I had to remember what uh, my white friend, finance guy, told me. So I leveraged my business that had no income. 
I leveraged the business. And because I had the paperwork, they said, no problem. We'll get you the car. They got me the car. Something was wrong with the car. They said, okay, we'll just drive it until we get your other car that you want up from Texas. So I drove the car for like three months for free. God is amazing. So um, I'm in the car and that is what positioned me to get booked because now the buses and vans are, are hard to, to, to get a hold of because all the production companies are booking all the vans. They're booking all the, the, the buses because we have to have social distancing on the vans and the buses. So that means now you can only get a third of the people that you used to be able to get on a bus on a bus. So we have the van, which costs $600 a day. You can only put, I think as of yesterday, there were four of us on a van. But at one point, there could only be two or three other people on the van plus, plus the driver. So they needed what? They needed people who had cars. Well, people who right. had cars were willing to get the nose swab, were willing to be put in a bubble. And I fit the, the, the criteria because I was homeless. So that wow. is how we are fast forward to today. Me having gotten my 183rd COVID test yesterday. I saw that yesterday. And you are also, even with all of that happening and your consistent work in the the the, in, the divine intervention, yes. um, which I think you and I have talked about through this pandemic, you have also because you had to become a set producer and a set dresser and filmmaker. What did you do with that? Tell us what you did with that, Adrian. I, I picked up an idea that I had a couple of years ago to make a ton of movies. And right now, uh, let's see, we started July 8th. Right now, I'm happy to say uh, that I have filmed nine films myself. Uh, thank goodness for the pandemic dollars. I was able mm -hmm. to take uh, those dollars and buy, um, uh, buy myself a, a, a new iPad with all the fixings. Um, and I have been able to, at, at this point, uh, corral a team of 14, 14 people mm -hmm. where we are bringing our total skill sets together and you know, we're making, we're making movies. Some of them are, 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 um, are originally written by us and some are written by other writers. And, you know, we're, you know, I'm, I be, be, listen, because of my MBA and my um, business development expertise, I'm able to make a film in one day, you know, Fantastic. and I actually need to do, a, I need to do a masterclass on it to help people to figure out how to come up with your idea, how to take it to market with 500 dollars. How, how are you doing? Yeah. We don't need, yeah, we use millions of dollars to make a TV show because production companies are in a relationship with the state, with the Department of Labor, you know, they're job creators. So yeah, they hire brand new people every day, but we don't need that much money, you know, right. to, to make a film. So I'm, yeah. you know, making my, but my films for less than $2,000, less than $1,000, less than $600 in yeah. one day. And I, you know, I'm thankful it was a lot of lost heartache and pain, but I'm thankful mm -hmm. for my experience of being homeless and, uh, and the pandemic for my ability to do this now. I put mm -hmm. to practice on myself what I taught other people. Right. And you have, we have about two minutes left. So I know that you are doing um, some crowdsourcing, some funding opportunities for um, individuals who want to become, to become involved in your venture so would you like to talk about that? Well, yeah, you know, thank you very much. Um, 
yeah, if anyone, you know, were to go to my website, they would see there's this uh, link there called, um, called the wall of film. It's corny. That's the name of it now. I don't know how to make it better, but it's the, the wall of film. And on there, uh, there are little posters of all the films done so far. And there's a link for anyone who wants to donate $5, $10, you know, $50, $1,000 gets them as uh, a credit as a producer, not mm-hmm. just on the film, you know, but within the company itself. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're cranking out quality, uh, quality films on quality equipment because I've had years of producing uh, experience and the pandemic, you know, being a stand-in on a show, that's when you really learn how to call a show, how to be a first AD. You know, that's when you really get to see the inner workings of how a TV show is put together. So we are making these films very low budget, but mm-hmm. in a professional way. And so, yeah, my website, adrianunay.com is where people can get more information about that. And I thank you for even being willing to share this. Uh, there are a lot of people that want to know how to get into the industry, how to become a producer. Well, this is another mm-hmm. way. People like me that are in the know, we have to be willing to lower the numbers to make it easier for people to get in on them. Yeah. And I can't wait until I can come up and help you on one of those weekends to kind of get a behind the scenes look at that. Um, so in the last one minute, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show, sharing all of your knowledge and um, just being a bright light in all of the communities that you're in. And I am so grateful to have you as to call you friend, colleague, and I'm so excited for your success. So as we, you're welcome. So as we close today's episode, if anyone would like to connect with me or have additional questions for Dr. Adrian, you can connect with me through uh, my email at counterbalancecoach at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at counterbalancecoach or connect with me on LinkedIn, Dr. Melissa L. Strasser. And you can find all of those links on the homepage on Voice America Radio on my host page. And thank you very much for listening. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Counterbalance Conversations. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Melissa L. Strasser, for another inspiring program next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next program, do something that stands out this week. Make a change. Be the counterbalance.